Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you'll take your Bibles, let's take those and turn to the book of Exodus. I'm completing this uh, four-part series. It's been sort of scattered around, but it's, it's actually ended right at the perfect time because I want to speak tonight on Passover, which begins Friday night at sundown and goes through Saturday sundown. So I want to speak tonight on Passover. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter 12, while you're turning there, the... The concept of this series, if you, if someone says, okay, this is the first one I've been here for, then it's fine. Each one is standalone. But the concept was this, prequels to Calvary. That is, uh, things that happened a long time ago that kind of pointed toward the cross in one way or another. Like God showed pictures and he said, it'll look kind of like this, but not like this. It'll be like this, but not like this. So that when the cross finally came, that we recognized it. One of those was the, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. If you'll remember all the people, uh, because of rebellion and sin, they, the serpents and snakes came among them and bit them, and they began to die, get sick and die. And, and what in the world is a better picture of sin than the, the serpent's strike, which leaves us sick and dying of, of the disease of sin? And God said to Moses, make a brass serpent and hold the serpent up on a, on a stick, on a staff, and those who see it and look on it in faith will be healed. The cross becomes then uh, our object of faith in the moment of healing. Then the second was the ram caught by its horns in the thicket, that instead of the sacrifice of Isaac, that God supplied himself a sacrifice. And the ram became symbolic of the sacrifice of God, that God would sacrifice for us. The uh, the third one was last Wednesday night. Any was anybody here last Wednesday night? I wanna I wanna tell you I was so grateful for the appreciation for that, and and it meant a great deal to me. Who can I want to just ask? Who can raise your hand and tell me exactly what the animal was we looked at last week? Yes, Miss. Say it out loud. The scapegoat. Now I got a wonderful question right before the service. And I, I thought I dealt with it last Wednesday, and I didn't. When they asked me, I realized it. Why were there two goats? Why was the one goat sacrificed and the blood scattered, and then the other goat, the scapegoat, was the one we dealt with that was banished into the wilderness and then finally pushed over the cliff? Why were there two goats? The answer is so obvious, but it ought to be stated. There's no way to do both of those things to the same goat. So the, once the goat in the, in the temple was killed, it couldn't then be banished. So it's the twofold work of Christ to the blood sacrifice for our sins and then to carry away our rejection into the wilderness. So it took two goats to portray what Jesus himself did with one. Now, as we come to Passover, uh, in the Jewish community and your friends will be celebrating Passover, Pesach, this weekend. So let's read Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read a lengthy passage tonight as we read Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 33. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. 
speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth month of this month, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbors next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall you make, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. In other words, perfect. A male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs and the and the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. That which remaineth of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded up, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, that ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am, yo soy el Señor, I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, hence Passover. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you a memorial. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation unto you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only and that only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at evening. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. By the way, just pause just a moment there. There is a search which is done in most Jewish homes, particularly Orthodox or conservative Jewish homes, but in most Jewish homes, there is a search which is done, and it's real and symbolic. They go through the whole house trying to find anything that might have leaven in it, and it's kind of a family search. They, they um, In more Orthodox homes, they use a candle, but now more they're using, they go at night and they use a flashlight, and it's kind of a family event to go through the Jewish house and search for anything and bring it out, get it out of the house. It does not not supposed to even be in the house. Seven days there shall be no leaven in your house for whosoever eateth of that. Let's see, let me go further. Even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop 
and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And listen to this next sentence. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And he, when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not suffer the destroyer, the angel of death, to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he has promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children say unto you, what mean ye by this service? That you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. And it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat upon his throne, under the firstborn of the captive that was under the dungeon, and under the firstborn of all the cattle. That is an English translation of a word which means animals, every kind of animal, not just cattle as we think cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise up and get you forth from among my people. Both you and the children of Israel go and serve the Lord as you've said. Also take your flocks and your herds, if you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we be all dead men. And the people took their dough that was before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver or gold and raiment. It actually should mean they spoiled Egypt. They despoiled Egypt, which verse uses in the next word uses in the next verse. And the Lord gave the people in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. So passive, mighty passage, isn't it? Put your hands on your Bible and let's pray together. Mighty God, with our hands upon the word and our hearts and minds as open as we know how to get them, we're asking you to do all the rest. Rush in over the threshold of our souls and enter in. We beseech you, O Lord, Speak to us in Jesus' wonderful name, the strong Son of God. Amen. There had never been a midnight like it in Egypt or in anywhere else ever in the history of the world, nor will there ever be another. We cannot even begin to imagine as the screams and howls and cries of human beings and livestock, animals, beasts, mothers, fathers begin to scream into the night. Can you imagine the nightmare of death? Every firstborn of every family 
every flock, every herd, every, every set of puppies, every, every, every kind of family, the firstborn of every one of them. So if there was a grandfather, a father, and a son in the same family, they all died at midnight if they were firstborns. Imagine the screams, the nightmare of it over the entire land of Egypt. Most powerful, most military, most sophisticated military armies in the world, rich, the entire nation devastated. I just want to show you what it might be like just in this room for just a split second. If you are the firstborn in your family, in any generation, if you're the firstborn, will you raise your hand? Now look, just hold your hands up for a moment. Imagine if at midnight, every single one of those people died all at the same time. It's a nightmare. But not in the land of Goshen. In the richest, most powerful palaces of Egypt, in the palace of the Pharaoh, of the nobility, the wealthy, but not in slave hovels, not in slave hovels. I wonder what it must have been like to be in one of those little huts in Goshen, in a little Hebrew slave hut, and to hear the screams, the crying, the weeping. Imagine that, and to sit a little slave family Huddle down, having a little meal of unleavened bread. Imagine being the father in that family. And your little girl says, what's happening, daddy? What's happening outside? It's the angel of death. The destroyer, sweetheart, is moving through the land of Egypt and the firstborn of, of, of every flock, every herd, every cattle, Every household, the firstborn, they're all dying right now. That's why the people are screaming. That's why they're crying. Don't you, don't you think that child must have been frightened? What about us, daddy? What about us? What's, is, is, is the destroyer coming in here? Is the, are we safe? Imagine that, daddy. We're safe. We're safe. How do you know? The blood is on the door. The blood is on the door. The most powerful prequel to the cross imaginable is the sweep of death through the nation of Egypt and the protection device. The one thing, the only thing that would save them was the blood of a lamb. Take this lamb and take his blood, dip it in hyssop, in a basin and sprinkle it on the two doorposts and across the lintel of the house and close the door and stay inside. The divine direction of God for the preservation of the people of God. Now, here's a very important point. The blood and the salvation by blood through the lamb that was sacrificed was not universal. You need to hear this. 
it had to be applied and you had to stay inside. It didn't mean that the blood would work no matter what you did or whether you used it or not. There is, a, there is an unfortunate and, and frankly wicked teaching right now that's making the rounds. And it, I guess it feels convenient to people and they like it that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that everybody was saved no matter what. But that's not, that's not the principle that was revealed in the Passover. The direction was quite, quite clear. The death of the lamb is, is for anyone who will receive it, but it must be received, it must be believed, and it must be applied. The blood had to be put on the door. Now, let's just think about some of the things that we see in this story. The first is this, the, the deliverance of Passover was more than deliverance from death. It was certainly deliverance from death. If nothing else had happened ever in the history of the Hebrew people, the night of being spared from the destroyer would have been enough, but it was not what it was about. It was not just deliverance from death. It was deliverance from bondage. It was deliverance from slavery. It was deliverance from everything that Egypt stood for. When Jesus dies for us, the Lamb of God and his blood is applied to our lives, it's not just to save us from death and hell, it's to save us from everything that would make us a slave. Everything. Every kind of bondage, every kind of slavery. I love that song we're singing now. It's very contemporary now. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Put any word in there you want to. Sin, fear, despair. I'm no longer a slave to anything ever again because the blood of Jesus doesn't just keep me from going to hell. The blood of Jesus delivers me from bondage. It's even more than that. The blood of the lamb not only spares them from the work of the destroyer, death in the night, in the midnight, it not only delivers them from Egypt and from slavery, it delivers them to the promised land. God not only has saves us from death and hell, he not only saves us from bondage in this life, he has something better for us. One of the great passages of scripture in all the Bible is that he leads us from glory unto glory. That, that's sort of a way of saying from glory unto glory, unto glory, unto glory, unto glory, unto final glory. In other words, the walk with Jesus from the application of the blood by faith always leads us to higher ground. We are supposed to grow. You know, when I was a university president, I, I was president of two different universities for nearly 16 years. And every now and again, we'd have a guest speaker and there was something that some of them used to say. And when they said it, I just cringed. And when they'd leave the next chapel, I'd get up and correct it. I just, I just didn't like it at all. And I still know it's wrong. Have you, you ever heard this? People speak to high school kids at graduation or whatever. And they say, this is the best time of your lives. This is the best time of your lives. No, it's, no, it's not. It's not the best time of your lives. Let me just say something to you. There's something better than college algebra. Yeah. 
But it's more than that. It's not the best time of your lives because maturity is better than immaturity. Growth is better than, than weakness. Strength is better. Life gets better. Life is better. This is not the best time of your life. Even today, right this moment in this room, this is not the best time of your life. The best is yet to come. We are not just delivered from death. We are not just delivered from bondage. We are delivered for blessing upon blessing, era upon era, eon upon eon, eternity upon eternity. It just gets better and better. You know, the world does not really understand what we're looking forward to. They just don't get it. It's one of the reasons that the world can't really intimidate Christians. I mean, I guess that somebody holds a gun on you, it's frightening in the moment, but they can't really intimidate us. I, t- <laughs> I told the security patrol at, at uh, ORU, I said, if anybody ever comes in here with a gun, do not jump in front of me. I don't want the death of some cop on my hands and I'm ready to go. <laughs> some sucker comes in and bust a cap in me, stand aside. But you, that can't, you can't say that if you don't have confidence of what lies ahead. It's, it's going to be great. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons that heathens who visit church don't get worship. They don't understand it. They don't understand what's happening in worship. People singing and they're happy and rejoicing and they're just not getting it. Years ago, I went out to preach in a, at a church in Anaheim. And while I was there, the desk clerk had two tickets left over to see the Los Angeles Philharmonic play. And it was an, uh, it was an all Mozart program. Zubin made a conducting, gave me the tickets. Would I, would I like to go? I said, man, would I like to go? Well, I didn't have a car and I don't want to find my way around in Los Angeles. Not a city you want to get lost in. And so I called a friend of mine who was the associate pastor at that church. And I said, look, I got these two tickets. Please take me and let's go. He said, oh, man. He said, classical music. I said, no, it's a Mozart. He said, Dr. Mark, please. I don't want to do this. I said, look, I'll buy you a steak dinner. We'll go. I just need somebody to drive and get me to the, to the symphony. And he said, oh, okay. Okay. Oh, he was just miserable. We had tickets right, right there came in, the orchestra all came in, started taking their places. Have you ever seen an orchestra do this? And they're all starting, you know, to tune up. And <laughs> My friend turns to me and said, you like this? <laughs> I said, this is not it. They're tuning up. So someday you're going to bring some unsaved heathen friend of yours to church we're all worshiping and singing, praising God. He's going to turn to you and say, you like this? And you say, this is not it. They're just tuning up. The blood on the doorpost must be applied. It must be applied with faith. And you have to stay in the house. You have to stay in, stay under the blood. It saves us from death and hell. It saves us from bondage. And it saves us to new purpose, new life, and new destiny. We have a better future no matter where we are. The the blood of the lamb at Passover is the final fulfillment of the old promise. Everything that has pointed to it 
the serpent in the wilderness, the ram caught by its horns, the, the scapegoat, the sacrificial goat, everything has pointed forward to this great moment. Now, I'm not saying that every Jewish person in the time of Moses or even in the time of Jesus understood how it was pointing toward Messiah. But I'm saying that reality was in the heart of Judaism. Because think what happened. When Jesus appeared on the banks of the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing, the crowds streaming through the water, John is baptizing and baptizing, and Jesus appears on the bank. And John looks up, takes one look at him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. That's language that every Jew in that crowd understood. That's Passover language. His blood will be applied to every house. That's the sacrificial lamb. That's the one. It must have, it must have been an electrifying sentence for them to hear. The thousands and thousands of years that they've celebrated Passover. And now John Baptist says there, that's not a lamb. That's not another lamb. That's not a new lamb. That's the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Now there's just one last thing, and it's so beautiful and so powerful. The next morning, we get so caught up in that horrific night of death and screaming and crying. I, 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 Sometimes I've tried to just imagine it in my mind. I can't even imagine what it must have been like. I think of the Egyptians. Think of Pharaoh. His, his firstborn is dead. Well, think, of, think of that. And the Egyptians get up the next morning and they say, get out, get away from us. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating? Now listen to this. The more alive you are, the more you make dead people feel dead. The contrast between your life, they, 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 it points up. I mean, every preacher has had this experience where some guy who's living in sin, drinking, gambling his money away, running around on his wife, and they come in for counseling, and he says, my wife's driving me crazy. I say, is she coming to church and worshiping and praying a lot? Isn't that horrible? And because her life makes him feel dead. And that the Egyptians say, get out of here. Look what's happened to us. Look at the death. They want to blame the Jews. Look what's happened to us. You've, look what you've caused. All the plagues, all the warning, all the, all the pleading, all the begging, let them go, let them leave, let them go. It wouldn't listen. One stiff-necked rebel after another until God said, all right, that's it. And the death hits the streets. And now they say, now leave, now leave. But listen to this. What is the signal? What is the signal? How did the, how did the Jewish people know it's time to load up, mount up, pack up, and get out of Egypt. A shofar sounds. We might call it a trumpet. Someday, as long as it lasts, we don't know. You know, they, they thought maybe the deliverance from Egypt would never come. 430 years. Don't you know the first 20 years? They said, well, 
It's coming soon. We'll be out of here soon. Maybe 50 years. We'll be out of here soon. A hundred years, the promise seems to fade. 200 years, the promise seems to fade further. 300, four centuries. They're now into the fifth century of bondage and slavery. Don't you, don't you know that there were a lot of people that said if he was ever gonna, if he was ever gonna get us out of here, he already would have gotten us out of here. If he was gonna send a deliverer, he already would have sent one. If something was going to happen, it already would have happened. I suspect that there are people in the body of Christ who really are good Christians. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they don't believe. I'm not saying the blood is not on their, their lives. But I believe they may have given up hope that the last trumpet's going to sound. I don't know why we quit talking about it. Maybe life being a Christian in this present world has just gotten so good that we can't even think about how wonderful it's going to be. But listen... It's going to come a great getting up morning. I don't care how good it is here. I don't care how bad it is here. I don't care what you're living in, the blessing you have or the curse that you're fighting. I don't care where you are. There's going to come a morning. I don't know when it'll be. Some people may say, if Jesus was going to come, he already would have come. That's, I'm sure that's what they said in Goshen. I'm sure. 430 years. I'm sure they did. And suddenly, the night of death and horror is over. The Egyptian people are saying, here, take the gold, take the silver, take the rubies, go, get out of here. Take the livestock, take everything, get out from among us. Is it time to leave? Is it time to leave? They're all asking, is it time to leave? And suddenly, Harold step out onto the porch according to Moses' command, and he says, all right, blow the horn. Blow the horn. And can you imagine as they begin to make their way out. I don't know if it'll be before midnight tonight or another thousand years. But what I know is this, God's going to step right out onto the edge, just like Moses did. And he said, the night is over. The death is past. He'll turn to an angel at his right hand and say, sound the shofar. And we're going out. We're going out. Now, now just one last thing, and we'll finish this night and finish this whole series. And here it is. A lamb. It's almost like God says, I've got one great, huge joke to play on all of human history. What do the great kings and kingdoms and tyrannies and nations choose as their symbols? Panthers, tigers, the Bengal tiger, the Russian bear, even us, the American eagle, birds of prey, animals of strength and power, kingdoms that have symbols, the the Roman wolf, I want some symbol of strength and power. What does the king of kings choose? The Lord of lords, the mighty God, the everlasting father. What's the most massive and intimidating creature that he could choose? (laughs) 
when all of human history fades and all of the kings and tyrants and dynasties are swept into the dustbin of history, it will not be an eagle or a bear that stands on the mountain. It'll be a lamb. It's going to be a lamb. When we finally are there, when we finally are there, the one thing we will say to one another is, behold, the Lamb. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.